Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb the sea. Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is an innovative health and wellness tech company that helps you optimize your blood biomarkers and ultimately your health and athletic performance. Inside Tracker uses science and technology to deliver ultra personalized guidance based on blood biomarkers that span from cholesterol to inflammation and more. Inside Tracker presents you with an action plan for food, lifestyle, exercise, and supplement recommendations to optimize your health and help you reach your goals. Inside Tracker's recommendations are all backed by science and are selected for you based on your preferences and lifestyle. Take the next step in your journey towards optimal health. Visit InsideTracker.com to learn more. As a special deal for our listeners, Inside Tracker is offering 25% off any of their plans with the code ART and Science. That's all caps, ART and Science. Welcome back to the Art and Science of Running podcast. Today we have a very special guest in Jonathan Levitt. And Jonathan is a fellow podcaster as well as runner. And he's the sales manager and endurance team manager with Inside Tracker. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah. And I'm going to steal a line from you. And um, we're going we're gonna to actually ask you to tell us a little bit about who you are. Rather than <laughs> I was hoping this would, this would never <laughs> turn around on me. Um, so yeah, I asked this question on my podcast called for the long run a lot, uh, for the long run. And I ask it a lot and, um, it always stumps people and people are like, I don't know how to describe myself. Um, and it's the most difficult question of the entire interview. Um, but who am I? Um, I'm a runner. I am currently also a cyclist and swimmer. Um, we can talk about that if you'd like. And, um, I host a podcast. I work full time here at inside tracker and I love to travel. I'm in between two trips right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, live, live in Boston, Massachusetts, a great, um, a great road running town, not a great trail running town. Um, now are you originally from the Boston area? Um, for all intents and purposes, yes. I grew up uh, about 30 minutes west of the city in a town called Needham. Okay. And when you say that it's a great road running, but not a great trail running community, is it just because there's so much pavement or it's just hard yeah, to so access the, trails? Or? The community is great. There are a lot of great trail runners here, but the only trail is the Freedom Trail, uh, which is in fact uh, just a brick outline of a path on, uh, on some, some very old Boston roads. Um, but yeah, the, the, the road running scene is amazing. There are a lot of really fast athletes here. Uh, we had a handful down at the Olympic trials this past weekend. Um, and then obviously the Boston marathon brings out the best of Boston, uh, you know, on a, on an annual basis and is, 
and makes the the winter training months very exciting, uh, particularly out along the marathon course. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine you you've seen quite a few great runners and and uh, you know weekend warriors out there checking out the course um, throughout your lifetime. Um, that is quite an iconic course. There really isn't another road race with <laughs> with as much history <laughs> as as the Boston Marathon. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned the the trials, and uh, was hoping we we could pick your brain a little bit of, or or get get your rundown on on how the Olympic marathon, the U.S. Olympic marathon trials went. You were there in Atlanta and got to witness it. And um, are you still are you still on a high? Or are you <laughs> you, you kind of burnt out and exhausted? So I'm still on a high, uh, and apologies in advance for any uh, hoarseness in my voice because I was screaming for you know two hours on Saturday afternoon. Um, but yeah, we we spectated from a spot where we could see the athletes uh, six times uh, on the on the three mile out and back stretch um, that they looped three times. So we saw them six times, and it was it was wild. Um, I was in LA uh, for the U.S. Olympic marathon trials in 2016. And I was down in Atlanta uh, for 2020, and people have asked, "How does it compare?" It doesn't compare. They're like, LA was what it was. Um, it was overshadowed by either the Grammys or the Oscars or whatever was hap- happening at the Staples Center that that weekend. Um, and it was just a it was just a race amongst a bunch of awesome athletes. But there, the city didn't support it in the way that Atlanta did. Um, you could be busy for. 72 hours in Atlanta uh, ahead of the trials and during the trials, there were shakeout runs. You could run, you know, an ultra marathon worth of shakeout runs. Um, you <laughs> could go to a million different panel discussions. Kara Goucher was leading one, you know, all of the, um, the former uh, trials runners were many of the former trials runners were participating. Um, Brooks had a house. Hoka had a house. We had a house. Um, Saucony had a house. Everybody had their activations there and they were looking to connect with, with the community. And, and it was, um, it was awesome. I, from everything I read and, and heard and saw, um, it, it looked like it, they really did a top notch job. Um, I mean, they, they went above and beyond in terms of funding the athletes, uh, it, it used to be that it, there was an A standard and a B standard, and, and the only way you got lodging or travel covered was if you got the A standard, which is significantly harder than the B standard. Um, and so, I mean, they, the Atlanta Track Club or the, the community of Atlanta had to come up with the funds <laughs> and the the means and the rooms and everything to to cover more trials qualifiers than have ever qualified. Um, and so, I mean, the fact that in itself, let alone <laughs> offering, um, the water bottle, um, or the fuel stations for every single participant, uh, individualized, <laughs> um, fuel stations for those that were willing. So I think like three quarters wanted and were willing <laughs> to get that. So just the logistics of that alone, um, sounded, um, beyond, uh, difficult, but, uh, Man, yeah, it sounds like they they really crushed it, um, and that the athletes really were well taken care of, and um, and that led to some some pretty exciting and dramatic races. 
Yeah, and I think what was awesome about it is the fact that it was, you know, you you have about 700 people running the race of their life uh, or a race that they've trained for several years uh, leading up to, and it's not siloed. It's, you know, this aspirational, um, they're doing their best, I want to do my best. And it I, as I talked about on, on my podcast with Aaron Strout, it's all about uh, bringing – everybody else along for the ride and sharing that success and sharing that journey um, and really helping everyone get the best out of themselves. And I think that was, that was what was really cool about it. Yeah. Speaking of that episode with, with Aaron, I mentioned to you before the show that I I really enjoyed that. Uh, Aaron is a friend of mine and, um, and just a, a huge um, voice and leader in the, uh, in the sport and in the community of, of running. And, uh, she does great work in the, in the community of Flagstaff, but she's also doing a lot of work, um, nationally and internationally, uh, particularly in covering the women's side of the sport. Um, but I mean, just the sport in general as well. She's, uh, so if, if those that are listening, haven't listened to that episode with Aaron Strout on the for the run long for the long run podcast. We definitely recommend that, and we'll put a link to it. And it was a bit of a uh, preview to the trials, but but there was also plenty more to discuss that's very timely and um, pertinent to you know the the current state of the sport, but also um, <laughs> the future of the sport. So definitely, yeah. My goal with that one was to uh, focus more on her versus the trials. I wanted it to be something that um, was a little more evergreen than a trials preview podcast. Um, I tried to be somewhat topical, but not you know wildly topical. My goal with my podcast is not to be. Um, uh, it's not talking data. It's not talking race splits. It's not talking you know training for a specific race. It's more about um, the full the full adventure and the full journey. Um, so that, you know, you could listen to somebody talking that, that I talked to ahead of Western States, but you could listen to it in October and it will still make sense and be useful and helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and I really appreciate that part of your, your podcast and it, it's hard to, it's hard to find that, not just that niche, but also, you know, uh, not necessarily create a space, but, but sometimes it is difficult to not just talk about <laughs> whatever right. is going on currently. I, there are plenty of podcasts that are just talking about, you know, uh, this is the recap of the races over the weekend or whatever. And, right. Which um, is definitely necessary, is but yeah, but that's, yeah. that wasn't the goal I had for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's one aspect of the sport that is exciting is that it seems like every weekend there's a, there's a record being broken. And you actually right. mentioned in your podcast with, with Aaron, the, um, Boston university indoor track. Um, there were mm-hmm. a lot of <laughs> really fast times run uh, yes. this past winter, um, on that track. And, um, so for people who love the sport, like that don't necessarily have to get tribal or factionalize the sport, but you know, that if you just love athletics in general, whether that's indoor track or, outdoor track or roads or trails, ultras, whatever it may be. Um, it's an exciting time to, to be in the sport for sure. Definitely. So can you tell us a little bit about your background as a runner? Um, you mentioned that you're currently more of a cyclist and a swimmer than than a runner. Um, so can you tell us a little bit temporarily? Okay. (laughs) Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Um, how, how your running journey began and um, 
how where it's led you to and, and then also where you hope it continues to lead you. Yeah. So um, I somebody asked me earlier today, I was doing a, uh, another interview and they said, how long you've been running? And uh, I had to think back and it's about seven years now, which is wild to me. It feels like it was just like two years ago. Um, and the reason I remember that is because it was right after the 2013 Boston Marathon that I consider myself having become a runner. Um, so obviously being from Boston, the Boston Marathon was uh, of interest to me. And mm-hmm. in 2013, I was living at home and um, it was a year after college. And I went to Wellesley, which is the halfway point to watch the marathon. And okay. I did this instead of, um, I was being lazy that day. Instead of going to watch at the finish line, um, I chose to drive to, uh, instead of taking the train to go to the finish line, I decided to drive to Wellesley and watch at the halfway point with some friends. And fast forward a couple hours, the the bombings happened at the finish line. So I always feel that like somebody was watching over me that day and uh, forced me to be lazy um, and and be at the halfway point instead of at the finish line. So I'm always grateful for that. Uh, because I would have literally been right, right where all that was happening. So what what inspired me was um, watching, you know, 13 miles into this marathon, um, seeing people of all shapes and sizes doing it, and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I was 23 at the time, feeling pretty invincible, um, and I was like, if they're doing it, why can't I? Um, and so at that in that moment, I was like. I should run a marathon one day. Um, and then fast forward uh, a couple hours and, and the bombing happens. Well, the next day I felt that um, the only thing that I should do was go for a run. And so I drove to Newton, which uh, is about mile 20. I parked at the top of Heartbreak Hill and ran into Boston. And um, I kept running until a giant SWAT team told me I can't continue and I must turn around. And when, you know, five big dudes with machine guns tell you, you can't go anywhere, you turn around and, and can go back from where you came from. Um, so that ended up being my first half marathon, uh, totally basically couched to half marathon. Um, <laughs> I ran two hours and, uh, got one stress fracture. Uh, so that was, that was fun. Um, it's a memorable half marathon for sure. Very memorable. Very memorable. Um, I didn't know it would be a half marathon, and on my on my way on my way there, I was like, "What if I ran a marathon today?" Um, which would have been stupid. But, um, anyways, that was my first long run, and uh, after I healed from this um, silly thing that I did, uh, I decided to be a bit smarter about it. And ended up getting a coach and found uh, November Project, which is a local uh, community uh, grassroots fitness group here in Boston that has since grown to 50, um, 50 groups worldwide. And um, I, since then, I've, I've been motivated to you know, keep chasing goals and keep reestablishing what I find to be normal or attainable. Um, and in the process, I've run six marathons. I broke three in the marathon last spring. And then, uh, I ran rim to rim to rim in the grand Canyon, uh, as like the big, big goal that I didn't really think I could do, um, in the fall. Well, so that's been quite a trajectory from, 
from couch to <laughs> to half marathon truncated by uh, machine guns and a stress fracture um, <laughs> to the rim to rim to rim. Um, yeah, of, of all of your I, running, oh, go ahead. What I was going to say, what I love most about it is is you know if you had told me seven years ago that I would I would see the sunrise and sunset in the same run. Um, I would think you would have been talking about somebody else. Uh, I would never have imagined that 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 would be me. Um, And it that's what I love about it. It's just like the reestablishing what's normal or what's attainable. Um, And no matter who you are, what your skills are, you can always do more. Yeah, I love that. Now, how did you prepare for the rim to rim to rim while living and training in Boston? Like what? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's funny because I know there are hills in Boston, but uh, yeah, there's, there's slightly uh, different, <laughs> not quite as right. high. So, so, um, it's funny. So I asked. So I work with David Roche, and he trains a, a lot of trail runners. And he, I asked him last year about training last spring or earlier in the spring about training for Broken Arrow fifty two k. And he was like, how about we train for something that, that is, uh, that you can train for, um, because there's no sky running here in, in Boston. And I live at the highest point of my day is in my fourth floor apartment. Um, so uh, at sea level, so it's, uh, it wasn't very practical. However, the Grand Canyon, you're starting at, I don't know, 7,000 feet or 6,000 feet and descending or so you start at 8,000 feet and you descend 6,000 feet right away. Um, and for what we did for that was his approach was let's just get as fit as possible so that, you know, you can do it and spend a lot of time on feet. Um, I think I did a, a downhill 10 K, um, but a net downhill 10 K 10 days out of, uh, 10 days ahead of, of rim to rim to rim. Um, so that was a pretty hard effort. I did a lot of uphill training, um, and a lot of like, uh, three minute intervals hard at like a 12 to 14% grade, which is soul sucking, um, because you're, you're dying in the first 30 seconds and then you have another two and a half minutes of, of this. Um, I remember one particular workout, he told me, think about how hard it is and, and live in that, um, because you're choosing it and it's optional. And, uh, I remember running up that, running up that hill, like thinking like getting hit by that car would actually feel better, (laughs) um, than, than running up another two minutes here. So it was stuff like that, that, um, just a lot of volume and a lot of hill work, um, but not too much. Um, so it was, it was the most volume I'd ever done. Um, it was the only time I ever did a you know casual marathon. Um, I did a marathon on you know a Saturday in in October um, or yeah, it was the beginning of October, I guess. Um, and my car was the aid station, and I just did four four ten k loops up a mountain um, in Western Mass, and I had like fifty five hundred feet of climbing. And, uh, it took me five hours and it was just like, it was just like a super fun day. Um, and I was programmed for 25 miles that day and I got back to the parking lot, uh, at 25 and a half. And I knew that when I wanted to do another 0.7 miles that I like things were clicking because I knew it would either go one way. I'd either get back to the parking lot and just like want to die 
or um or I'd want to finish the finish the the full marathon. So I just ran laps around the parking lot and then, you know, went head down in a bag of chips and pickles um and coke. <laughs> right <laughs> right after. All of which I would highly recommend as fuel, especially if you're a trail or ultra uh, runner. That's uh, yeah, and it was it was funny. I was favorite. definitely and and I was um it was at a place called uh, Mount Wachusett, which is a, normally a ski mountain, and they were doing a so it was in October, so it was like I don't know sixty degrees out, and it was Oktoberfest, and all I could smell were were hot dogs and like brats and things like that, and um people were kept walking by. And they were watching me eating chips and drinking Coke out of my, out of my car um, as they were, you know, drinking beers. And it was a pretty, pretty funny, uh, funny setup. Yeah, I can imagine uh, when I've run the Grand Canyon, I've I've often wished that they had chips and Coke <laughs> and pickles um, at yes. Phantom Ranch. Um, but at least the last time I ran it, they had they had cheap beer or lemonade or that lemonade is that lemonade is is sweet isn't it it is very sweet i (laughs) i i know i've spent 20 bucks each way on on lemonade before but um that's that's just two of them yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, but uh but chips and coke would would definitely hit the spot and i think they could make a lot of money (laughs) at least on us uh on us ultra runners that definitely have a liking for it so yeah um, well, <laughs> on that note, um, <laughs> in, in addition to, to running, um, you, you work with inside tracker and, um, can you tell us a little bit about what inside tracker is and what your role is with the, with the company? It, it sure. does relate so, to nutrition in some respects, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. So, um, inside tracker is personalized nutrition. So there are so many decisions that we make on a daily basis when it comes to what we're putting into our body. And our goal is to help take the guesswork out of that and replace guesswork with science. So our role is to translate science into, okay, do this. So we look at a comprehensive blood test and, and match that against your, your food preferences, your routine, your supplement routine, how you train and what your goals are with the output being, okay, eat this food three times a week, eat this food once a week. Uh, take a supplement in this specific dosage. Again, all within the context of who you are and what your goals are. That sounds like quite uh, quite a package. But how how does it work? Like, I, I mean, I I understand the idea, but but what does someone do to to be able to provide you with the information um, in order to get that feedback? What's required on yeah, the, so the way the it works. The way it works is you order from our site and uh, in the U.S. you go right into a Quest Diagnostics lab uh, and do a blood draw there. Uh, in Canada, we send a phlebotomist right to you. They show up, do the blood draw, and then either way, about a week later, the results and recommendations become available. So you'll have filled out a profile that tells us, again, the food frequency, supplement routine, training, and lifestyle uh, so that we're able to build all these recommendations based on you and your individual goals. And then the idea is that, you know, you retest again in three to six months as a way to evaluate progress and just continue to improve. So um, a number of the people that listen to our show would consider themselves 
serious uh, runners or at the very least recreational runners, they they wouldn't select our podcast if they weren't <laughs> interested <laughs> right. in the sport. Um, so I, I know you work with, with some really high-end level athletes. Um, it's partially why you were at the trials, I'm assuming. But um, but how how would this benefit um, your uh, aspiring um, marathoner or um, Boston marathoner um, or Olympic trials qualifier? Like how, how would this benefit? Uh, yeah. Athletes? So it's a good question. Um, so company was started 10 years ago, not with the goal of helping professional athletes get on the podium. Um, it was started to help all humans improve life through a personalized approach to diet and lifestyle. So it works the same way for everyone. Uh, we signed someone up who's 98 years old the other day, and we have 18-year-olds and everyone in between um, with varying goals athletic, athletically or just health and longevity overall. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's understanding your body and your needs. And there are so many, like I said, there's so many decisions we make on a daily basis and you read so much about best foods for runners or worst foods for runners. And you see the same food on both lists, or, you know, you have athletes that thrive under the vegan diet and you have athletes that, um, that can't get out of bed if they don't have, you know, a steak or a burger twice a week. And, and we're all so unique. And the idea that um, one diet fits all is archaic. And we don't believe that, that that's a way to, uh, to address nutrition. And we've joked that, you know, we're the diet killer. And we don't like the, the you know, the, the bucketing that diets put you in. Um, it should be more about figuring out what your needs are and, and following, you know, the you diet as we call it. So we don't prescribe to high carb, low carb, uh, vegan, paleo, gluten-free, whatever. It's all objective and it's all based on, you know, who you are in that moment and what you need on an ongoing basis. So the, the, the benefit for a back of the pack runner versus, you know, someone winning Western States, versus you know your your grandmother um the benefits are all out there you know you it's it's all about helping to improve how you feel and the 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 goal is the only different different piece so your goal might be improve endurance or or reduce your injury risk or just feel better or we get a lot of people that say i just want energy to play with my kids and and that's a you know a fairly compelling reason for a lot of people to to want to make better decisions when it comes to and I say better I mean more personalized and more effective not you know this food is healthy um, it's just more more effective or efficient for you. Okay, and so how does how does that work with just a, a simple blood draw? Like how how are those determinations made based on just some numbers that come up from a, from a blood draw. So what we do is um, we evaluate your food frequency. So I eat meat X number of times a week, fish X number of times a week, dairy, uh, vegetables, fruit, nuts, etc., And then include your um, supplements and exercise. There's an expected outcome for all of that. And if something's not working, that's where the flag is raised. And so, okay. 
so if if you know an example I like to give is if you have low iron, conventionally the solution is eat more meat. Well, what if your cholesterol is high, your glucose is high, and you're already eating meat three times a week? Eating more meat is not going to satisfy that, and it's not going to help you improve, uh, or probably not going to. So we would make a recommendation that's going to be the most efficient for you. So it's either you know take an iron supplement or eat shellfish or change around when you're – so we, we look at nutrient timing. So a lot of people don't know that you know when you eat something matters just as much as what you're eating. So a lot of um, people who are iron deficient say, I take an iron supplement. Why is this – why am I iron deficient? Uh, they could be taking it with their meals, and that's blocking absorption. They could be taking it with – uh, coffee or um, dairy or you know something else that's that's blocking absorption. So it's it's more than just doing something. It's doing something at the right time, at the right interval, and being able to evaluate that it's actually working for you versus um, anything else. That's really interesting. Um, I've actually been running. Uh, with our our most recent guest um, over the past week, uh, Max King, and uh, he's been staying with me, and uh, we were chatting a little bit about Inside Tracker, and um, I think he's he's done the the blood tests five or six times, and mm-hmm. um, he's he's currently better than I've seen him <laughs> in, <laughs> in at least the last few years, yeah. and. Um, and we, we chatted a little bit about in this in the last podcast, but he, he set a course record when he was new on the ultra trail scene over 10 years ago. And then a few years later, I happened to run it and break it. And then we both returned to the same site. And 10 years later, he broke the course record on, I would say, more challenging conditions in a more challenging day. And so that was really encouraging for me to see that a guy who just turned 40 is breaking a course record that he set when he was 30 yeah, or that's maybe awesome. even 29. And, uh, and, and, and yet it's not like it, it has been a, a completely upward trajectory either. Like he's had, he's had really good years. He's had right. less than, um, stellar years. I, I think by most people's standards, everything he's ever done is pretty stellar, but uh, by his standards, there've been up years and down years. And, um, you know, some of that can be attributed to life stress. I know he and I have both <laughs> commiserated around, um, you know, there, there is a bit of media attention that goes to, uh, female athletes when they are pregnant or nursing. Um, it's very rare that anyone asks the <laughs> the guy who's getting up in the yeah. middle of the night. <laughs> uh, and that was part of it. Yeah. Well. I remember we were talking with him about that and, and he was talking about, you know, he was, people were waking him up and you just got to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't get any better. Like, I think he actually got, he's, he's in a good place sleep wise. And then he came and stayed with us <laughs> with, with our <laughs> little kids. And uh, we had two up at five this morning and, uh, <laughs> I told him he was probably better off sleeping next to the, um, to the train tracks than sleeping <laughs> with our kids. But anyway, it worked out. Um, yeah. but, uh, he, he definitely said that it, it helped him get, like you said, an objective, um, perspective on some things that, that were happening with his body and then some direction as far as what he could do to, to hopefully turn some of that around. And, uh, 
you know, whatever he's doing seems to be working because I, I know he was in a, he was pretty frustrated and, and not feeling great the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, he's, he's stronger than I've ever seen him. At, yeah. Um, he's been, uh, he's been fun. We were talking about how I, I went for a run with him and he's one of the strongest runners I've ever had the pleasure of running with. Um, but yeah, we got connected to him through Goo Energy. Um, they have a program where they sponsor testing for all their athletes. And uh, nice. he, was, he was one of the athletes that got, uh, got involved with that. Yeah. He, uh, I, I'm happy for him that, I mean, that's, that's one of the things is he is um, such a great ambassador of the sport and uh, just a really good mentor. He's, he's mentored me, but he's mentored a lot of much younger runners. And, and that's something mm-hmm. we talk about in the episode. Um, but it's, uh, it's sad when you see someone even at a slight decline, but it's, it's so encouraging when you like, it, it's cool when you want to be a fan of people that you're actually supposed to be competing against. Right. <laughs> and, right. Uh, and he's one of those guys that it's like, Oh, cool. You beat me. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think good, I beat him once. Good dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told my brother about it once. Um, cause I was so stoked. He asked after a race, like, so how'd it go? And I was like, well, I, I beat Max King. And he's like, what happened to him? And uh, <laughs> the answer was he, he went like five miles off course, but, um, uh, yeah, He's, he's a good dude. So I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm really happy to see him. Um, and he's got the, the 50 mile championships coming up, uh, against some, a pretty stout field, yeah. um, soon. And, uh, based on what I've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, and based on what he's saying, I'm, I'm not making any predictions, but I'd say the, the master's category is pretty secure. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I would say he's, he's definitely going to make a run for the overall win, which is, again really exciting 10 years after the fact that like after he started ultra running that he's still on top so that's pretty cool yeah it is very cool yeah um so i mean that i wanted to mention that uh example specifically because we just spoke with max and and so hopefully some of our listeners know him a little bit better than they might have prior to the interview um Mm -hmm. but uh but what are some other uh, encouraging results that you've seen, like what, what gets you up in the morning and why, <laughs> what, what makes you want to, to do what you do at work? I mean, I, I know that work is work, but, uh, I know for me as a coach, it, it really is encouraging to, to get to see the progress that people are making. And, and I usually feel pretty good every day yeah. because of the, the positive results that I'm, that I'm seeing and hearing from my athletes. And so, what are, what are some of the, uh, encouraging stories that, that you have that, you know, make you feel like yeah. what you're doing is making a difference. Yeah. So, um, one of my favorite stories, I've got two that come to mind. One of my favorite stories is, uh, Keely Henninger, who is an awesome, uh, trail runner out of Portland and, um, somewhat new on the scene. I don't know. She's 26, 27. And, um, she, we also got connected to her through goo and actually she was, she was just a regular customer, uh, before that, um, with her first test, her iron was low. Um, with her second test, her iron was low with her third test. Her iron was low. I can say this because she, she's talked pretty openly about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and she wrote a blog for goo that said, uh, I took a blood test. I ate a burger and, uh, won some races. And so what it did for her was she understood that that the supplementation wasn't doing it for her. Whatever the reason, she was doing the timing right, she was doing the doses right, etc. Um, but as a vegetarian, uh, adding meat back into her diet was the sort of the magic piece that 
um, she needed to find. And uh, she felt great and is feeling great ever since. That was a couple of years ago. Um, I think it's so cool that that it allows people who were tired or, um, you know, had had something that wouldn't go away. Um, they're able to do this. Uh, I wouldn't call it guess and check because it's it's more than just guessing, but um, sort of this like N of one experimentation where you do something, you measure the impact both objectively and subjectively. And then if it works, you keep doing it. And if it doesn't work, you change it. Uh, and for her, it wasn't working. So she kept, she kept trying and eventually it worked and she felt better and the data improved. And so it's a story like that, that is, you know, I love and she's racing stronger than ever before and feels better and is more excited. Um, and you know, I just, I love to be a part of that. Another story that's more recent is Patrick Reagan, um, who tested a few times last year and then again recently. And he actually posted on Instagram about this yesterday. Um, he got some pretty gnarly numbers back that matched with how he was feeling. And he's taking a lot of time off and a lot of downtime and making decisions that are really hard to make if you don't have very compelling reason to do so um so he, his coach is magda boulet and and magda has sort of steered the program um with goo and their athletes and so she's very intelligent in her own regard but she's also very aware of how this works for athletes and um yeah the two of them have been working together and and helping patrick make some really good decisions that are really hard decisions to make um, regarding rest and, and time off. And he posted a, like a really, um, a really motivating, um, a really motivating thing last night where he said, essentially, um, he said, working on getting the fire back this month after a few weeks of feeling drained and some concerning blood work, I'm getting the system back on track. The road isn't always the smoothest in our sport yet. Nothing challenging should be. So, it was really cool that he took something that was pretty negative and um, actually took action on it instead of just pushing through and trying to train harder and train through uh, sort of a down tick, um, which sometimes people do, or, you know, if they're, if they're not hitting their workouts, just run more or run harder. Um, sometimes you can put yourself at a, or usually you'll put yourself at a disadvantage uh, in a situation like that, but he was able to back off. And, and the analogy I like to use is, you know, you're, when you pull a slingshot back, you got to take some steps back in order to spring forward. And I think that's what he's done, um, really well or what he's doing really well. That is encouraging. And, um, it, even as a, even as a coach, right. I mean, he's a coach, um, <laughs> but sometimes it's easier to <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Right. Kind of thing exactly. Because, uh, we often know better, but, and, and we're happy to tell other people <laughs> what they're going to need and, uh, you know, w what makes sense, but it's, it's pretty hard to accept that we are mortal and we're not right. invincible. It's not just a matter of, it, it's not a question of character <laughs> right. or like, you know, are we tough enough? And, and sometimes it does take more courage to step back, like you said, than to push forward. So 
um, or at least some some foresight to to play the long game, not the not just the short term game for sure game. So. Well, that's great. So how exactly did you find yourself in this role? I mean, what did you study at, at Wellesley? Um, and, or like, how did you, how did you work your way into working with athletes and nutrition specifically? So I studied, um, sport management and marketing at UMass Amherst and the program there is really, uh, strong in, um, suggesting that you get real real world experience in the form of an internship or just doing something. So I started a baseball league while I was there and was responsible for sponsorship. And we got, we had a local burrito place as our title sponsor. So the place was called Bueno Isano. Um, so we called the league Bueno Ball. Um, and it was, uh, so I got a lot of, you know, practical experience working um, in sponsorship and working on, um, working with athletes. I interned, uh, with the Boston Bruins. And what I decided from that internship was that I didn't want to work for a team, but I wanted to work within sports. Um, so I'm definitely more on the business side versus the science and nutrition side. But, uh, the, the team we have here is it's like 75% science. Um, so we're, firmly rooted in, in the science side. And then we have a, a business team that supports, um, from the business side of things. But, um, in, in terms of how I got to inside tracker, I was at an event that a guy named Ken Lubin was putting on and Ken runs a group on LinkedIn called executive athletes. And I was, I was there with my dad who invited me and he's like, yeah, I think this will be an interesting event for you to attend. And the company is interesting and you know, whatnot. So I went and I spent like 30 minutes talking to the CEO and chief science officer at Insight Tracker. And I was so confused because I was 24 and probably the youngest person in the room by 15 years. And I was like, why, why are they talking to me out of all these people? And um, before that conversation ended, uh, the CEO said, okay, cool. So why don't we hire you? Um, and I said, okay, that's interesting. Uh, I like my job, but I'm open to a conversation. And then two weeks later I was, uh, signing an offer at, at Inside Tracker. Um, so that's how I got there. That was, that was five, over five years ago now. And yeah. in terms of the growth in company wise, it's been wild to see. I was probably the eighth or ninth employee and we're at 55 now. Um, and then in terms of the willingness of, of the industry to accept something like this, it used to be, you know, you needed to convince somebody why this was useful for them. And now it's more like fulfillment, like, yeah, sure. Of course we can get you signed up and here's why we're better than, you know, our competitors versus needing to explain the whole process and needing to explain why you would even want to consider doing such a thing. So I think we were, um, five, 10 years ago, very early in the personalized nutrition movement. And in another five to 10 years, everything's going to be personalized. You're going to walk into a supermarket and they're going to say, oh, hey there, Jacob, um, your, your, your food is ready and just go pick it up. They already do when I walk into Starbucks. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, this will, this will be your groceries and it will be based on based on your needs and seasonality and what's local and what's fresh, but really what's best for you if you want that kind of personalization. But 
Um, you look at you know Amazon, and right now Amazon is crushing everyone in personalization. You log into Amazon, and you see everything that you could ever think about wanting because it's listening to you <laughs> on your phone and and it's following you around the internet. And so it knows your buying habits, it knows your preferences, it knows the music you like, it knows um, you know when you exercise, all this crazy stuff that people think isn't true. It's, it's true and, and it's being monitored, which is crazy, but it's leading to, it's leading to, to you spending money on things that you want or you need, more so you want, but um, hopefully things that you need as well. So our goal is to insert ourselves into that, into that equation and, and address the things you need category, not things you want or things you talk about that you're, that Siri is listening in on. Um, but instead knowing that, okay, you need to eat fish twice a week and wild Alaskan salmon is fresh right now. Uh, so you're getting it in your grocery basket. That's crazy. Um, so your role personally, how has that evolved um, as the as the company or as the product has evolved? Um, so when service, I, like- yeah, when I joined, I was wearing a million hats. I was sales, marketing, customer support, uh, event marketing, um, basically anything consumer facing. Uh, that that's what I was doing. Now uh, I'm strictly working on working with leads and customers and and athletes um i also found myself managing our uh, endurance team we have about 15 uh pro athletes that call themselves inside tracker athletes inside tracker endurance athletes um and it's working with them it's making sure that they're taken care of um from a from a testing and and support standpoint matching them up with our dietitians and supporting them at races um, so my, my role has evolved a little bit and I get to travel to races more often and, and either run the races or, or I'm out there, we're sponsoring races now, um, and, uh, it's supporting athletes and, and doing events, um, in cities where we have a lot of athletes. So we've done, we call it the inside tracker road show. And what we do is we, show up in a city where we have a lot of either athletes or customers or both and uh, host a group run and then um, bring in dinner and do a discussion on health and performance. So we've done this in, uh, we've done this in Boulder. We've done this in Flagstaff and we've done it in San Francisco. Uh, And then we're doing it in Santa Monica uh, next Wednesday or this, this coming Wednesday. So the idea is, um, connecting these professional athletes with the local community and, and building that community vibe. Um, coincidentally, it'll be Mike Wardian out in, uh, in Santa Monica who lives in, in, uh, DC. Um, he just yeah. happens, he just happens to be out there cause he's racing and he's always racing and he's awesome. Um, <laughs> but he was joking. No, he wasn't joking. Actually. He was saying that he was considering running home <laughs> from, from, from the Santa West Coast. Monica. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I can he'll see him do that. <laughs> he'll do it sometime this year. Uh, he's just trying to figure out a route and the logistics of a cross country run. Well, so um, who are some of the other athletes that that are inside tracker athletes, or how can 
how can people find that team and see some of their stories and, and why why would someone choose to like not just get a test and be done but but get the full suite of services that Insight Tracker has to offer. Yeah. So um like I said, we have about fifteen some of the notable ones. Uh Steph Howe, Devin Yanko, uh Keely Henninger, Danny Moreno, um Amy Leadham, uh Sabrina Little. The two of them are currently pregnant and we're hoping to share their stories a little bit more. Um, talking about women in sport and return to running after that. There's not much out there from a scientific standpoint, and there's a whole lot of unknown, and we want to help them tell that story. Um, Andy Cosarelli is is a, is a road runner. Uh, Reed Buchanan is a um, track and field athlete, mid-distance. Uh, he's got like a 13-minute 5K. Um, yeah. Ray, Ray Coble on the uh, OCR and ultra side of things, Nicole Miracle, a uh, handful of others, um, Matt Daniels, Grayson Murphy, uh, Claire Gallagher, Amanda Basham, Casey Lichtig, um, and then one more in triathlon, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Riley. So it's a, it's a healthy mix of athletes that focus on different areas and, and we'll be sharing some of their stories uh, on the video side of things uh, okay. in the coming weeks and, and talking about what they've learned and why they've learned it and how their, their nutrition is different um, as a result of, of this. And uh, we'll have a Facebook, you know, we'll have a Facebook uh, album with, with some of their testimonials and all that good stuff. And it's really about um, these, these athletes are, are special in that, um, they care about paying it forward and, and giving back and helping others learn. And so they're not, they're all very open about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I think it's really cool, particularly within the trail community that we have this, um, because I think the community benefits. So these athletes benefit from fans, obviously, but they benefit from engaging with the fans and, and there's, more and more money. There's not a lot of money in the sport, but there's more money in the sport because of this kind of connection that can occur and, and building a passionate following that goes to races in beautiful places. Um, and I think that by being a resource like, like some of these athletes are, are doing, um, they're, they're more valuable, uh, because they're not just, you know, showing up on race day and, they're siloed. Um, I think that was a problem with some of the um, some of the athletes at the trials. I saw a tweet from uh, Peter Bromka the other day, and he was talking about basically the opposite of of all of this. He was saying, um, "You get these athletes that keep their training private, and they don't engage with fans, and they're sponsored, and they show up and they have a bad race, and." they expect your, or, or they have a great race and either way, like they're not connecting. They want, like what makes somebody want to care about an athlete like that? Um, that's the part that, that sort of stumps me. Like why would somebody, why would somebody not want to connect who is a public figure? I get that. And, and the counterpoint I guess would be, um, they just really like racing and they just really like the sport. And that's what they're there for. And they don't, they don't need the rest of it. Um, but I think if that's the case, then you can't be mad that, that they don't have fans or that they don't have, 
uh, as ravenous or or strong of a following as you know somebody like you know, we we're talking about Flagstaff before um, Steph Bruce. She's the best at this. Um, and you look at your your brother even after his um, his CIM. Like I like I felt that pain, but I I've never met him. And, and it's, it's, it felt so real. And, and I think that's the, um, that's the upside and that's the value that social media can bring. And, Mm -hmm. and it, it makes it, it makes them real. It makes them relatable. Uh, They're not just these super athletes that can do anything. Um, but, uh, bringing the humanity to, um, to their personality or to their, to their, uh, presence is, is super cool. And I, from, from where I sit, you know, as w- with the brand perspective, it makes them more valuable uh, at the end of the day. Um, and, and at the end of the day, value is what determines sponsorship. So if you're not valuable, um, but you're winning, if you're not, if you're not engaging and you're not doing that, but you're winning races, maybe you'll continue getting sponsorships. But if you're not winning races and you're not engaging, you're definitely not getting sponsorship. But if you're if you're valuable and you're engaging and you're this and that, uh, and you might not be winning right now, but you're you're bringing other people along with you and you're you're helping other people improve and connecting and this and that, um, we're moving to a new uh, form of the sponsorship. And you see people who are getting sponsored that are not winning races and they're not you know front of the pack, but middle of the pack or even back of the pack. Um, and I think it's super cool that, that those people have that opportunity, uh, because the brand sees potential in, in aligning with them. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I mean, the, the whole sponsorship model is being turned on its head and, um, and I, I mean, I would say there are pros and cons to the change. (laughs) I'm certainly a beneficiary of the changes. Uh, I, I did run in high school and in college and wasn't fast enough in either to, to be recognized for anything. Um, wasn't fast enough post-collegiately. And, and then it was, um, I, I, I think Brooks was kind of the first in the, in the running shoe space, at least that they started that grassroots ambassador kind of approach. It wasn't just the, Hey, you're either, a potential Olympian, or at least, you know, you were an all American. So we'd like to have our brand on you, whether you're doing anything or not. Um, we'd like people to see you wearing our stuff to, um, you know, Brooke started giving me stuff, um, because I, I was a high school coach. So they figured, Hey, you've got a hundred kids that are watching you every day (laughs) and maybe they'll see that you're wearing Brooks. So that maybe they'll, they didn't realize that none of my kids had money. So (laughs) they weren't going to be the ones making that choice. whether They were going to be wearing Brooks or not. It was kind of like whatever, whatever fit and worked. Um, But, or I was a race director. And so it was kind of like, I, I was able to start cobbling things together sponsorship wise because of things that I did apart from my, efforts to try and qualify for the Olympic trials. Right. And I think it's fascinating that, that, that is, um, that is where it's heading. Like Hoka does the same thing for me. And they like, I get a couple pairs of shoes every so often. There's no, you know, formal agreement. It's just a, Hey, thanks for being you know a fan. And thanks for being out in the community. Um, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, and I think it's super cool how, um, how that works. Yeah. Well, and I, I do agree. And I, th- I think other brands are um, beginning to change. Um, 
their perception. Um, and in fact, they're using it <laughs> to their advantage when they're seeing that the old model isn't working. I mean, there's been right. quite a bit in the, in the press just in the last few months about um, <laughs> how some of those uh, bigger contracts, bigger sponsorship dollars associated with the bigger shoe companies and, and the, um, the clauses about, you know, going periods without competing and things. And, and rather than, um, those companies owning that they, some, some have after the negative press, but, um, other companies have just totally jumped on it and said like, cool, Uh, (laughs) these athletes got dropped. Um, why don't we pick them up and share their their real human story not yeah this, i mean ultra hey, we're, we're ultra has done an incredible job with uh with exactly that yeah yeah it's uh it's interesting to see how they've chosen to you know um take control of that uh space um, or at least like create space for that those conversations <laughs> right. and um and that's, yeah i mean you know, i, I, ha- no I had a conversation with either. with exactly <laughs> create space i like it um I had a conversation with Aaron Stroud on the podcast about this and, and the part that I was struggling with was um, like when a woman is pregnant, like that's when they are most relatable. When, sorry. When a, when a professional athlete is pregnant, that's when they're most relatable. That's when a brand should be telling their story the most. And <laughs> for the entire duration of sponsorship of female athletes, that's been a missing link. And, and it just blew my mind that, like any of that, any of those clauses existed because it's so counterintuitive to what I think. Um, mm-hmm. But that's how it's that's how it's been. It's always been about results. And if you're if you're pregnant, you can't you can't race. Um, whereas you look at Ultra signing Tina and uh, Alicia and and people like that, um, they're not at their peak right now. But I'd say they're more valuable than ever before. And they have a bigger platform than they once did, even if they, they bigger, don't have, they're not on a podium with exactly. the metal around there. They have a bigger p- platform and people are listening to them and um, their potential impact is greater. And then you take, you take an audience or a platform like, like a shoe brand and they can disseminate this information and fact check and make sure everything is, is actually true. Um, so when I said initially, we were talking with Sabrina and Amy uh, about, you know, the experience as a, as a pregnant runner and, and eventually as a mother, um, like that's the story we want to tell. And that's the, like the humanizing that we want to provide. And, and there's not enough information out there about these topics that, um, at, you know, as a science backed company, we, we want to do it in the right way. Um, but then, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just fascinating and, and, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the conversation I had with Aaron on on that, and um, it's it's interesting to see where things are headed for sure. Now, where can people find your podcast, and um, and what episode was that? Do you remember? Um, so, my podcast is called For the Long Run. Um, it is on all major podcast platforms: Spotify, Apple, etc. Um, Aaron's episode was episode fifty five, so it was uh, the most recent one, um, released on February twenty seventh. Nice. And, uh, and how did you decide to, or why did you decide to start a podcast? I know you've been working with athletes for a while and you do travel a bit for work and you, you get to meet all these people, but that's this exactly is already it. really crowded space. Like why, <laughs> why yeah, add yeah. one more podcast? That's exactly it. So, um, 
the day that I decided I wanted to start a podcast, I had gone running with um, Zach Miller. And I met him at the man, the base of the Manitou Incline in Colorado Springs. And we ran up the incline, or I hobbled up it. He ran up it and did it twice uh, <laughs> in the same time. And then we went to dinner. And um, first of all, he put on a clinic and, and ate more than – it was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, and – in between eating the most delicious uh, taco bowl I've ever had, I asked him, "Why do you do it? Like, what, 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 what gets you up in the morning?" The same question you asked me, like, "What gets you up in the morning? Why do you run like 150 miles a week? Why do you race the way you race?" And he put his he put his food down and spent 10 minutes answering that question. And I was like, "Well, shit! I I wish I recorded that." Yeah. Um, and I realized at that point that like I, I'm privileged in my ability to have all these conversations with professional athletes. Um, I, I've probably done this with a hundred pro athletes at this point. Um, and I was like, this, this is uh, selfish of me to keep it all just to myself. So then I was listening to a podcast with Billy Yang and Mario Frioli. And they were talking about how crowded uh, the podcasting space is, but how they liked it because iron sharpens iron and it forces everyone to be better. And so then I had a conversation with Eric Schranz, who hosts Ultra Running Podcast. He was like, mm-hmm. dude, don't just be another podcast where you interview top athletes about their accolades. And um, I said, okay, I, <laughs> I want to take a different approach. And and the the most sort of poignant example of this was a podcast that's one of my favorites. I did it last May or June with Kara Goucher. And I sat down, I said, Kara, you've done some pretty amazing things in, in the past. I don't want to talk about any of it. I want to talk about Kara of the future. And we did talk about her trail marathon, but I didn't want to talk about any of the Olympic stuff. I didn't want to talk about any of the amazing things that she had done in the past. I wanted to look forward and understand why she was doing it. So the feedback she gave me afterwards was, um, okay, that was different. And people actually listened to this. And that was like, okay, I, I nailed it. Like that is exactly what I wanted to do. And when, when someone replies, uh, I did one with Jesse Thomas and he was like, when he put it out on, on social media, he's like, uh, I talk, I answer some questions I've never been asked before. And that's my goal. My goal is to, is to address a different space and a different area. Um, focusing on the mental side of, of sport is this psychological side. So, so the tagline is exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. Um, so there, there are a handful of consistencies in, in the why of these elite athletes, but I find it fascinating to explore and dig into um, like what makes people tick. And it's really interesting to ask somebody who runs hundred milers, these questions uh, in particular, um, because I don't think anyone can run that distance. Um, I think that anyone can run a marathon, but I think to run a hundred miler, I think you need like a special kind of, um, you need, you need to be a little different and you need to know why you're doing it. Um, and those people usually are really, really interesting people. And they, they usually have really interesting reasons. And it's not just, 
actually once somebody said to see if I can, but then you unpack that and there's so much more behind just like, is it possible? Um, and it's not just like, oh yeah, we signed up, you know, after a handful of beers, like most people sign up for their first <laughs> marathon, myself included. Um, it's, it's always more, it's usually more than that. And that's, that's the part that I find fascinating. So I realized I'm, I was having these conversations organically through work and through the connections I was making through work. And now I just record those conversations. And so it's like, it's not actually that different, except the fact that we have mics in our hands and we can't do it in a coffee shop. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I felt the same way, even after recording the conversation <laughs> with Max the other day, I, I wanted to break the mic out, back out <laughs> a couple of like we over dinner and on the run and stuff like that. We it was kind of like, can we do a follow up? Cause you mentioned something yeah. and now we're, now we're talking about that again. And I want to record that piece and splice it in there. And, um, yeah. and that, you know, I, I, I do most of my training on my own and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the athletes that I coach train on their own. And so some of it is that they just don't even have a sounding board. They don't even have, um, someone to give them a, a second opinion uh, other than me as their coach. Um, and so sometimes it's nice to either have ideas affirmed. Um, but also sometimes it's nice to get a different perspective from someone that you respect and admire has different experiences than you. And, um, so I do appreciate the, uh, the variety that you have brought to the space and also, um, that, that you, you know, weren't intimidated by the fact that you know people were saying it, it is a crowded space and uh, right. and you you have you have created a, a different uh conversation which is which is really uh, insightful and inspiring uh one thing that you noted was that you're you're focused on the psychological side and i i saw something recently and i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about it that that inside tracker is actually beginning to offer some psychological um recommendations as well is that correct or, or that, that, uh, yeah, that might so, of- so for ten years we, for ten years we focused on nutritional science, and um, it was a very uh, straightforward platform. So these are your results. This is what we recommend. Um, behavior change is the hardest part. It's not just awareness; it's assisting with implementation. So about a year, year and a half ago, we brought on a consultant who is uh, an expert in behavioral science. And we tasked him and his group with uh, understanding how to use this program. And we said, tear it apart. Tell us what's wrong. Tell us what's right. um, And help us help people. So we've sort of, uh, or we have, we ended up bringing him onto our scientific advisory board. And that's the, um, that's probably the the notification that you saw that was shared um, on social media and through some uh, media outlets, et cetera. Um, but the goal is there really the implementation and and playing into the the emotional side of it, so that um, it's not just simply us telling you, "Hi, you should eat this food three times a week and eat this food once a week and take this supplement." For some, that's all you need. Uh, for others, it's a much more difficult process to actually create change, and so that's that's the goal of what this what this project has been to really um, help on the um, really help on on helping people even more and getting more value out of it. Nice. 
Now, one more thing before we leave, and this is something that I've that I've noticed as I've followed you and listened to your show. Um, you you seem to be open and encouraging about um, open about your own um, your your own choice to uh, get help with mental health type things. And I we don't even need to go into the details of that, but uh, it seems as though part of your mission is is to break down the stigma uh, around mental health and, and about um, working with a professional. Um, and so one, I want to thank you for that. And, and mm-hmm. two, I, I just wanted to give you a, an opportunity to, to talk a little bit about that as far as um, how, you know, we've talked about goal setting, we've talked about nutrition, we've talked about training and, and racing and, and a, a little bit about, you know, the sport and that's kind of thing, the art and the science of it. But um, I, I also believe that the, that mental aspect um, and, and mental health is important, but um, uh, you can speak in, in general or, or specific terms, but, but how has working with a, with a mental health professional helped you in your, in your running and also, um, just in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, thanks for bringing that up. Um, so for me, it's been sort of an easy path to making that decision. Uh, I saw a psychologist when I was a kid, um, to work on depression, uh, when I was probably starting in third grade through fifth, fifth grade. Um, so working with him on, um, uh, medication and and therapy and all of the things that I needed as a as an angry and sad little uh, middle uh, elementary schooler. Um, so when my dad suggested that I and and my mom, but um, really both of them suggested that I see a therapist again, uh, maybe two and a half years ago now or two years ago now, I was like, sure, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I probably should do that. Um, Whereas I think it's really difficult for uh, for dudes to accept this be- or even talk about it um, because there's a stigma around it. And mm-hmm. you're not supposed found, to ask for help. Exactly, you're supposed to be tough. <laughs> right? um, yeah. But I think Great, I team. think exactly. I think toughness and maturity is a sign of asking for help when you need it, not you know playing uh, caveman and trying to you know bash your head through a problem instead. Um, so. I shared, this was um, the summer of 2018. So I had shared that I was seeing a therapist on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And like 40 people replied saying, me too. And I didn't know that any of those people, and some of them I knew really well. I didn't know that any of those people saw a therapist. And um, I remember posting an Instagram story and looking back at the metrics around it. So 800 people saw a story and 50 of them replied. This was a couple weeks later and 50 of them replied saying that they saw a therapist. <laughs> and I was like 50 of 800 that replied. That's, yeah. that's huge. So what they, that they tells me, willing to talk about it. <laughs> right. So what that, what that tells me is that it's, it's common. And it, people are doing it and nobody's talking about it. So for whatever reason, I've decided that I want to talk about it and I talk about it. Um, and so I just had Camille Mayfield on my, on my podcast. Um, that episode's coming out soon. She's a mental health, uh, that, like, that's what she does as her full-time job. 
Um, I had Grayson Murphy on, who is a uh, rising star in the trail world. Um, she talked pretty openly about her own struggles with mental health. Um, I mean, there are uh, Jesse Thomas. We had a really good conversation. Uh, Amelia Boone. We had a really good conversation. Um, so these are people that have like really large followings and they're, they're talking about it, which is awesome. And then particularly for guys to talk about it is important for me to highlight um, because I didn't really see many people doing it. Um, yeah. But Mario Fraioli, I uh, really need to give him a shout out. Um, and there are a handful of other guys out there that, that do a great job talking about it. David, of course. Um, and I think that it's all about normalizing it and, and making it more common. And, you know, you see a physician for your physical health to make sure you're not sick. Mm -hmm. Why would you not see a mental health? Why would you not care about your mental health? If you care about your physical health, it's probably more important. Uh, you probably think about your, your mental health more than you think about your physical health. And yeah. And so you asked about how does it apply to running? I saw better progress in 2019. So I, you know, I've been running for six years. I improved more in 2019 than ever before because when I was running, I was running. I was not thinking about my problems. I was not, um, I was not using running as therapy. I think a lot of people say, oh, running is my therapy, like as a joke. Therapy is therapy. And this is a, you know, this is a hill I'll die on. Um, if you, if you need running as your therapy, consider getting a therapist. It will help so much more. And then running will just be running and you can run for the pure enjoyment of running. I had a shitty year in 2019 for a number of different reasons. I went through a breakup that wasn't great. I went through, uh, the loss of my grandfather. Um, it was the first, uh, family member I ever lost, um, which I'm thankful it took 29 years to get to. Um, but that destroyed me. I, I was so close with my grandfather and, um, we talked all the time and, and we, and we talked, I talked in therapy about this all the time because I was not prepared for what, what I was, mm -hmm. what I was going to experience. And I, I got to a point where I was approaching, I was approaching, runs like I was sorry I was approaching life like I was approaching runs and hard things in life like I was approaching a workout and I was consciously choosing to get uncomfortable in having a conversation with somebody who either I need to have a hard conversation with or like <laughs> I remember I remember going into a conversation with my grandfather fully aware that this was the last conversation I'd ever have with him on this earth. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like <laughs> getting the chills now. Um, I was in the bathroom before, before, uh, so this was just as I was leaving Florida in August of last year. And um, I remember being in the bathroom and I was just, I was shaking and I was sobbing. And I was like, and then, and then like three people texted me. Um, one was, uh, Ladia who lost, uh, her best friend Gabe. And we had been talking, you know, a lot that summer about, um, that whole process. And, 
I got these messages from from um, from Laudia and from my friend Abby Levine and uh, another friend Crystal Seaver, and the three of them basically either said something along the lines of just celebrate and be present, or um, what a privilege it is that you. This is what my boss said: like, what a privilege it is that that you can hurt this much over over missing someone. Um, I'd rather have that than not have that. So, so I went into this conversation, like scared out of my mind with how, how I was going to handle it. But if I didn't have that conversation, it would have, we talked about him dying and we talked about his legacy and he was fully coherent. And we, I don't think I could have had that without, without those therapy sessions. And you talk about human connection, like it's about as raw as it can get. It was about as raw as it can get in, in that moment. Like, hi, yes, I'm dying. Um, I'm proud of my, the life I lived and, and, and um, the family's going to be okay because I'm, I'm happy, happier and happy with, bringing more into the world and making it a better place than, than when I entered it. And like, that's the meaning of life. Right. And, and that's what I discovered in that conversation that like, I never could have had without the help of improved communication skills, which is a really long answer to your question and probably a little bit of a different uh, topic than you normally cover. No, I appreciate it. And that's, that's, Part of why we created this podcast was because it, it's not just about talking to elite athletes about their accolades. Same thing. We wanted people to to talk about the the human condition. <laughs> Runners <laughs> speak about being human, and uh, right. that's because sometimes we we just try and think that when we go for a run, all we are is we, we just need to get into that run mode, and it's like no, we're we're still dealing with our stuff uh, while right. we run, and, and so. Um, I commend you and I thank you for being open and for being willing to share that experience. I'm, I'm grateful that you had that experience. Um, and, and like some of your friends have said, what a, what a beautiful thing that you did have that opportunity to, to have that experience. But I also appreciate, um, the conversations that you are having and the, and the conversations that you're recording with other people, um, and that, that you are, you are, uh, changing this stigma, um, in general, but particularly among men, um, We've got to end, but I, I want to <laughs> join uh, in the in the parade and say that I I too have uh, been seeing a therapist and um, awesome, and it uh, in a lot of ways it's 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 to actually just improve my relationships so that yeah. I don't dump on everyone else when right. I'm stressed. So that Isn't I, it amazing I you get someone to ask <laughs> and someone who who just who you could just talk to and say anything and they just sit there and listen. Yeah. And, you know, I guess if you have to pay people to be your friends, that's cool. Um, so, uh, um, but it, it, it can be a beautiful thing. Um, and I've, I've found that already it's um, improved my relationships and I, I plan to continue. That's awesome. And I hope that other people will um, cool. consider it and that, um, you know, I, I know at least I, I try and project a persona of being some hard ass or badass and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, I'm about as soft as they come and, um, I, I love my kids and I love my family. And, um, 
and I noticed that I needed to do better uh, because oh, they awesome. matter more to me than anything and uh, more than more than running and they should. And uh, so, you know, if, if you got to go talk to someone other than your family about stuff that, that you can't fix on your own, um, then do it because uh, it's worth it. So Definitely. And, and the, the most common question I get is where do I find a therapist? And um, I found mine on psychologytoday.com. Uh, I don't know if that's available in Canada, but uh, plug for that here in the States. Uh, it's like dating for thera- therapists. They have a profile. They have their their strengths. They have uh, the insurance they take. Uh, it's, it's pretty easy to find. You just send an email and um, have a phone call and whatever, and then it's like speed dating, and eventually you'll find one that works. And if it doesn't work, you find another one. Perfect. Well, I think that's a, a beautiful place to end it and a, a really appropriate place to end it. I, I feel like that's a big piece of what you've contributed to this community uh, in addition to a lot of else. And so uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us and share your experience. And hopefully we'll get to have you on again. And uh, hopefully some of our listeners will um, will be able to check in on Inside Tracker to, to help themselves get personalized nutrition um, for them and, uh, you know, find ways to become the people they want to become. So thanks again. Awesome. For sure. Well, thanks so much for having me on and uh, excited to share this one. Many thanks to Insight Tracker for sponsoring this episode of the Art and Science of Running podcast. I'll be honest, I'm generally a skeptic when it comes to products that claim to help boost performance. But as we've also discussed on this show, data can help inform our decisions and our understanding of what is actually happening inside our bodies. As we discussed in episode 20 with Max King, He went from being at the top of his game and virtually unbeatable, all of a sudden not having the edge that he had had for years. After a year of frustration and no answers from doctors, Max used Inside Tracker to determine what his blood was saying about what was happening inside his body. After following the recommendations, Max was able to recover from nagging injuries and return to competition at top form at the age of 40. Like Max, you can have Inside Tracker analyze your blood biomarkers and give you personalized recommendations on how to optimize these markers, leading to better health and peak performance. Inside Tracker's technology delivers a simple, accessible, systematic, personalized, and scientific action plan for you to follow to optimize your health and achieve your goals. Visit InsideTracker.com for more information and to sign up for their newsletter. As a listener of the Art and Science of Running podcast, you are eligible for an exclusive promo, 25% off any products or services at InsightTracker.com when you use discount code Art and Science at checkout. That's capital A R T A N D S C I E N C E. Thanks again for listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you found this episode interesting, entertaining, inspiring, or informative, please share it with your friends on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and tag the Art and Science of Running so that we can reshare it. Better yet, please rate review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. This will help others with similar interests find this free resource that we've created for listeners around the world. Many thanks in advance.